Hey, what's going on? This is Rich here. This is the Reinforced Running Podcast, bringing you another Friday edition of this new reoccurring situation we got. It doesn't really have a name, but basically it's Josh Reedinger and I. We're hanging out and we're talking about training. And, and this week we chalk it up for about 10 to 12 minutes before we dive into the our listener question of the week, which is when to add slower miles versus faster sprints to improve your 5k so we get pretty deep on that and give you some good strategies in how to improve your overall uh, performance at the 5k distance then we go into our own topic which is stress management and how to develop a mindfulness practice that will make you a better athlete and, and how things like cold showers and breathing techniques can lower your stress levels and really put you in an optimal range for performance and recovery and just how to make your day-to-day a little less stressful. So I hope you enjoy this week's episode of Read and Rich or HHMC as I'm calling it. We haven't really decided yet, so uh, we'll make sure to keep you posted. And if you have name suggestions, let us know. So if you like the podcast, then we like you. And we would like you even more if you left us a little review over on iTunes. It helps us get found by other people who might like us, but they don't know they like us yet. And that would be a win for everybody. <clears throat> and this is a quick, just a quick example from uh, of a review that comes from Narman Ultra, which I guess is not, not his real name, but it's titled Education and Entertainment. And, uh, quote, great host, useful topic, fun talk, and lovely guests. One of my go-tos during easy sessions. So it's very nice of you Mr. Narman, we thank you very much. All right, enough. Here is Josh Redinger. Josh, my friend, how are you? Good, Morgan Rich. I am. I am healthy and well. You feeling healthy and well? You look healthy and well. Thank you. I am feeling healthy and well. My sleep has been okay. How how is your? Has anything changed for you as far as your schedule is concerned? Yes, I am guilty of <laughs> staying up a, a little bit later on some nights. Dude, there's a, uh, uh, we were just talking, like I watched Interstellar the other night. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been like giving into uh, some late night movies. No big deal. But there's this new show. I, I saw the, all the memes about it. You must have seen it. Yeah. And I had to give into it, dude. This Tiger King show. Mm-hmm. How is it? It's hilarious. I can't is believe it, it's real. Is it, everybody it has so much hype and I have not to it yet but everybody i know is like dude it's ridiculous that there's so many twists and turns that it's totally worth checking out i i would say it is worth checking out i only watched the second episode uh last night but you're watching it and like these these are very interesting people doing very interesting thing and they have like fucking 200 tigers (laughs) (laughs) like people are just taking pictures with tigers like shaquille o'neal's buying up tigers there's tigers everywhere tigers are ripping people's arms off it is it's real it's real drama how long how much of a window do you think i have to watch this before everybody just completely forgets about it like if i don't watch this in the next two weeks is there gonna be something new that comes up and then i'm just i give it three weeks i give it three Three? weeks three and a half tops Cause that's the thing. Like the only reason I want to watch it is just so I can have a, a good conversation with you right now, but it's uh, irrelevant. Th- and then I've seen these memes. I'm sure like, and now things are starting to get spoiled just based on the conversations that I'm like listening to. Um, so I don't know. I might hold out and just wait for the next thing. Maybe I'll be, maybe I'll be an early adopter to the next thing. Did there will always be the next thing? No doubt about it. Um, I asked Yancy this earlier this week and I think it's a, a fun question, so I want to ask you too. So what's one thing that everyone is like universally loved that you don't like? It's universally loved 
Almost. I, oh my gosh. Actually, this is kind of funny because I, I would have said before Tiger King, I would have said like Netflix series. Because <laughs> people just rave about it, whether it's uh, – Oh, what's what are some some good examples the, uh, like Stranger Things or Game of Thrones? Ozarks. I do. Yeah. Everyone's talking about. I'm like, you watch this, and I say no, and just you just see their face go. Oh, okay, we have nothing cool. to talk about now. Yeah. <laughs> so like everyone's got their you know their shows in common, and that's totally cool. But yeah, it was. Uh, I can anytime I'd go out, like people were just talking about like, you just see Game of Thrones. I'm like, no, I'm over it. I was never in it. <laughs> that's a good one. And uh, for Thrones, I was just almost just hanging on. I was following what was going on but not watching it just again just to have something to add to some sort of conversation i watched the finale i watched it the first like three or four seasons and then didn't watch the finale it was literally the, the only episode that i saw it was literally Did you the do only that i saw yeah and i <laughs> i understand it's a lore you know there's like there's it's number one like the the camera quality and and everything is like it's yeah it's super high quality the the costumes the just the crazy creatures and dragons and the violence and, and nudity i'm like all right i feel you i feel why y'all are watching this <laughs> if nothing else it's just it's just straight up entertainment visually appealing but the storyline behind it top notch is good i mean and why don't you like those things why don't i like those things yeah uh, why don't you like at like uh, like popular television essentially i don't know i think i uh dude i got rid of my television like when i was i haven't owned a television probably for the past like eight years i just used to like watch it laying in bed fall asleep get crappy sleep wake up at four in the morning tv still on and uh, i just realized it wasn't doing me any good that video games i got rid of all of it at once my xbox sold all of it at once used the money to like travel out to california and start hiking and like never never looked back I'm like all right i'm just gonna kind of get away from that sort of entertainment that's that's feeding me obviously i've introduced it a little bit and like you know entertainment comes in different sources and how you put the value on it is different i mean if like a show helps you relax there's a lot of value in that you know if it helps take your mind off other things in life like totally value to that but it wasn't giving me a shitload of value so i just switched to like listening to podcasts and running i i completely agree i kind of went through the same type of arc when it comes to my television watching and like you said it's like what it is feeding me like i wasn't like nourishing myself through television um it was uh almost like a bad habit and same with xbox i had to sell it i i just couldn't I, it came to a realization one day where i was like i'm spending all of my time doing this and not in a productive manner and this is just a way to waste time and it wastes a lot and i can't i don't have a good way of balancing things like that like i, I don't moderate well I'm on the same boat. I'm on the same yeah. boat. I have- so I needs to be an ab- abstain, just abstain from something. I'm the same way. We don't have a TV here. I so would you call that like an addictive personality? Um, that's along the same lines or like they share a circle in a Venn diagram? Probably. I mean, I don't know. Like addictive, I've never quite thought about that, but that sounds a little bit more negative and addictive has some sort of um, connotation that there is like something drawing you like physically pulling you into something i guess like the addictive nature but i always just kind of put into two groups like someone's an abstainer or someone's a moderator and once you recognize those things you can either have tv and watch it with a good purpose or have candy and treats around and be able to eat what you want or if you're an abstainer you just like can't have that stuff around and you need to recognize that about yourself and I think i'm that's definitely a, yeah, more that's of an a abstainer. more that's a more positive uh more positive twist intellectual twist you put on that rather than like like taking that word addiction, like out of there, addictiveness out of there. Yeah. And I feel like when it's an addictive, when you start saying, Oh, like I'm 
uh, addicted or I have this addicted, addictive personality kind of takes it out of your hands and you're kind of leaving it up to the uh, like notion that you are addicted to something. It's like, well, I'm addicted to it kind of, and I'm just like drawn to it where if you have an option to not have that in your life and abstain from it, that to me, it helps. I like to frame it that way a little bit better. If you, if there's like one thing in your life right now that you could see yourself getting, if there's one thing that you could get addicted to right now, what do you think you'd fall into? That I'm not addicted to already or that, or that you uh, are, what are you going to admit to? Well, just like social media is literally just engineered to be addictive. And I find myself just like mind numbingly scrolling a lot when, especially when I'm fatigued, when the decisions are, have been made for the day, all my energy has been zapped. Then I'm just, I just like default to it. Oh my God. Yeah. It's like, you're already down for the count. And then like someone else is climbing up on the edge of the wrestling ring, just body slamming you again. I know exactly. And that's, so when we don't have a TV, we tell people like, Oh yeah, we actually don't have a TV, whatever. Um, Amy, my girlfriend, she, she like, doesn't watch, has never watched TV. She never watched, seen any shows or movies. So it's cool because then I can pass off jokes from old movies as my own. And I'm just like hilarious. Uh, <laughs> but people ask like, oh, so what do you like do with your time? Literally, that's I get asked that all the time. I go, so what do you do? And, and like, I was thinking about that. I was like, I think I'm just on social media a little bit more. <laughs> like, I just don't think I'm doing anything that much more positive. Or I listen to podcasts again to, to just kind of let my brain go, you know, mm-hmm. and I used to try to listen to podcasts again to to nourish it and, and have things that I would learn from like while I was running or spending time driving. And I think there is, it's a good way to spend your time. But I think for me, I can see myself kind of going down a, a negative way and just using it as a way to waste time. Um, I hear you. I hear you. I feel like there's ways to kind of like adjust the scales of value. Like, you know, it's like, who are you, who are you following on social media? Cause I'm right there with you. I mean, yeah, totally social media. Cause part of it is, I mean, I don't have a lot of followers, but I know that uh, it's kind of part of the job almost per se, yeah. you know, like when you have sponsors, there's a certain uh, expectation. I mean, it's right in a contract. Uh, and that's totally cool. And, uh, you know, likewise for being in a, uh, really any industry it's self, it's self promotion, mm-hmm. you know? So, uh, really you can look at it as just part of the job. So, uh, love it, hate it. Uh, it's, it's part of the game, but as far as like value, like scrolling, I just started following like monster and red bull and like rock climbers and all of these extreme i I almost feel bad i'm like not even following friends so much i i mean i am but i mean not not as as many as they probably are so let's get to our listener question of the week this week it's from jonathan lemus uh and his question is for faster 5k should i run long easy miles or more sprint work so this is a pretty big broad question when it comes to how to get faster ultimately is what he's asking. How do I get faster on a 5k? And that seems to be a measure that is held in, in OCR a little bit more than in, I would say traditional road running, um, traditional road running. A lot of people are, are really focused on these longer runs, right? They want to do half marathons. They want to do full marathons or things to qualify for. So they, they're more worried about how to get their marathon time down. But in OCR, it seems like there's this metric here that's not too hard to attain and, and go after and, and test and retest. So what's your thoughts on like the overall 5K? Do you put much weight on yours? Not not entirely. Uh, I think I'm starting to a, l- a little bit more. Uh, and that's just because I'm observing where my – that's just where my weakness is. Honestly, mm-hmm. it's, on, it's on flat running. And uh, ultimately, I think 5K is a really good 
indicator of ultimate running economy. And uh, uh, so, and which is obviously very important. And there's going to be points in times during uh, an obstacle course race, uh, even in the mountains where 5k fitness is absolutely going to come into the play. It's very, it's very high octane. Uh, there's going to be areas where you're going to have to run very well because it's not always technical. I hope it's technical because then I don't have to worry so much about having that good uh, uh, economy. It comes more to like the durability aspect. But I think that if you have a strong 5K, that's a really that's a really good thing to focus on. That will probably have the broadest reach, the broadest reach. And I think that that's a good way to put it to put it because it does have a lot of elements to it. You know, there is a, an economical benefit to it as just being able to run faster. Um, there's some lactic tolerance, which will really come into into play with pretty much any race, right? And it could happen at any time, <laughs> especially in like in the mountains. There might be some some points where you need to clear that that lactic acid and to help you keep keep going forward. And yeah, and just your ability to run a little bit faster. Um, never hurts. So when it comes to where to kind of start, cause it sounds like a, someone who's just trying to figure out where they want, like where to go when it comes to getting faster. And this, and this is a metric that they want to tie themselves to that would help them in their overall performance. Like they need to get faster in it. Mm-hmm. So where would you really kind of start? Well, I was going to say first to start off, do you have any uh, more background on this lad as far as where he is at right now because that obviously is a you know the starting point is really important so we can talk about that if you have any information he's a strength athlete so he he's definitely a, a bigger build um and just judging by the way the question was kind of worded it seems like he's a beginner right on right on so and so i think it's just one of those things now it's like okay maybe he's seeing some 5k times or he's run run one or two and he is like okay i need this to get faster if my competition is running four minutes faster than me. I need to get four minutes faster in the 5k. No doubt about it. If he, uh, I, I know that muscle fiber, uh, can play, can play a role in what kind of training you should do or where you should spend like a little bit more focus just to a degree. Um, and it's also trainable to a degree. So if he's mm-hmm. done a lot of strength training, he might be a little more, he might be a little more fast twitch. Um, even, that said, I'd still probably to start out with like quick sprints uh, for the economy and really focus on aerobic building. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause, yeah, go on. No, no go ahead. I just I was just agreeing. Word. So yeah, ultimately it's it's mostly an aerobic event, and building your aerobic base is important for all, uh, well, all types of events. Really, if it lasts more than a, uh, a couple minutes, and. If he hasn't done a lot of running, that's probably something that's lacking and doing volume of easier running. And they kind of go together because if you're just beginning, you can't do a lot of volume of hard running. You will mm. end up hurting yourself. So getting in lots of easy miles, just because that repetition is going to help you learn how to move your body and build up the endurance of all your little muscles. And then strides are awesome to throw on the end of those runs, because if you keep them short, they won't stress your system very much. However, you'll get the opportunity to work those fast twitch muscles, uh, op- operate in a little bit of a power band, build up a little bit of power, and kind of reinforce those uh, running mechanics. So doing that for a while. Totally. And that's a, uh, definitely where we would start on uh, someone like this is getting those easy miles in. Um, because ultimately, to really get your, your 5K faster, you do need to work at or at or around, you know, that, that lactic tolerance area and going at sub 5k. So if we had him go out and do sub 5k work 
right from the jump, he wouldn't be able to handle very much because his aerobic system isn't, isn't, and his endurance is not developed. And you mentioned muscle fiber type. And if he is more fast switch muscle fiber type, just from being in the gym, he's going to fatigue more quickly. Mm-hmm. And so we need to work on that and, and develop that. And, and you talk about the mitochondria quite a bit and, and how to enhance that in the body. And that's really where this type of training comes through and, and training those slow twitch muscle fibers to get more mitochondrial. Um, what's the, what's the term you use? Well, mitochondrial density, uh, stimulate yeah. mitochondrial biogenesis. Yeah. Yeah. Then that's, so we need to work on that to make sure that he is able to do the work when it comes time to do the work. And I like the idea of doing strides. So it's like a way to kind to still work on that power output and get a little bit of that speed going, um, at at the end of your run without having too much. So I'd definitely say starting with a long, slow, easier runs. Now how that kind of plays out, um, a good rule of thumb, when you build your miles or when you're setting somebody up to build, um, how do you kind of move them? How do you kind of progress them from just starting out and, and then progressing forward? Uh, well, let's, uh, let's assume that the person's totally healthy, doesn't have uh, like any history of injuries. Uh, maybe they have like, say, four or five hours a week of exercise. Maybe most of it was in the gym, you know, doing like a you know, treadmill or something. They have at least a little something under their belt. They're not totally, totally cold. Uh, yeah, probably put them out to go by time, not by mileage. Tell mm-hmm. them to, I, I'm a big fan of uh, Mapitone, uh, at least for starting out as you become more elite. I think there needs to be a little bit more of a spread in, uh, in heart rate. Uh, a good example is uh, like some of the best marathoners in the world. They're hard stuff, super duper hard. They're easy runs. It's not even near map and map for people that don't know that term. It's a, uh, uh, Phil Maffetone, he has this formula. It's 180 minus your age, and that gives you an approximate aerobic ceiling. It's kind of conservative. It's it's safe, and MAF isn't short for Maffetone. It's max aerobic function. Uh, one F, not two Fs, like Maffetone. But uh, you would go far below that. But if you're just starting out, 180 minus your age is a safe place to know you're in a predominantly fat-burning state, which is where you will build mitochondria in a lower stress environment you'll you can build mitochondria through high intensity exercise but right now you want to maintain low intensity so you are are minimizing your risks of injury and this is a really good recommendation to make sure that you're keeping yourself in check a lot of times when you first go out and, and even if you have the question of should i go fast or should I go slow, then your slow is probably going to be too fast just as it is. And if you're really focused on just getting that 5k better, um, most of the time, in my experience, people, they are running too hard, even on, on, on easy runs. So the math is a really great place and, and it will be eye opening for, for you. Like if you're not, if your heart rate is 165 on what is considered an easy run, chances are it's not that easy and you're not going to bounce back very well. You're not going to be able to spend enough time running. You're going to get tired too fast. Yeah, <laughs> and that disclaimer, happens. That's like, disclaimer. Some people will walk. You'll get you, to the hill and you'll have to walk and that's okay. That's okay. It is okay. Know? Cause it's about spending time on your feet. Right. Right. And, and spending more time out there and, 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 and just learning out how to burn yourself out because that's essentially what this is. It's a good, like the, the aerobic ceiling, how you put it is, a, is exactly what it is. It's as high as you should go, but that's as far as you should go on an easy run. Now with this, I struggle with this, especially from a coach's perspective, just because I don't trust the technology. And then unless somebody has a heart rate monitor, chest strap, which most people don't, because it comes on your wrist now, 
I just don't think it's accurate. I think I'm it's not a fan of wrist. Yeah, not a fan of wrist. So I don't, I don't know or if it's not tight enough. It's, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is a kind of a workaround that I'll have. So have you done much like nasal breathing on runs? Do you play actually, with that at all? Just recently. So this giant schnoz is just for show. Uh, for the most part, it's actually when I start to breathe hard, the sidewalls close in and I have a deviated mm. septum. So it does a pretty shitty job actually at uh, letting air pass in and out. Uh, air doesn't come in if, I try to, if I try to exhale, it's not everywhere. But I uh, I started using a this nasal dilator or, you know, you can use nasal strips to open up and that that's at that point, you can start going by the, uh, yeah, the breath indicator, which you were about to talk about. But yeah, that's a great indicator. Go on. Yeah, the, the breathe right strips, the nasal strips, they look so stupid, but like <laughs> they work ridiculously well. Like when you put them on, you can actually feel like as soon as you put it on and take it off, there's a noticeable difference. And Galen Rupp wears them. I mean, he always looks like a clown out there, but he is the fastest runner male athlete that we've probably ever had. So there's something to them. They do work. You can feel it as, as you take it off those breathe right strips. Um, but nasal breathing is a great way to kind of regulate your, your effort. So if you are running, if you don't have a chest strap for your heart rate, then I would say when you, to kind of stay in that math zone, you should be able to breathe exclusively, exclusively from your nose or be able to talk in full sentences and like paragraphs and be able to have a conversation just like you and I are having, like we should be able to do this while we're out on an easy run. And that should really be an indicator outside of that math zone. Cause ideally you would stay in that, that 180 minus your age, but like, I just don't trust any of the technology right now. I hear you. And you can't, you can't really stop to take your heart rate. Cause by the time you've done a 10 second count, your heart rates dropped several right. beats, you know, but, uh, so yeah, being able to talk, talking is great. You know, if everyone's out there is running with someone and talking six foot distance. And when it comes to just building, then I kind of like to go on the um, like 10% rule. So if you're just going off straight, like if you're building out a plan, there's some different, uh, some different metrics that you can follow and, and, and things like the software that we use on, on training peaks will give you some good indicators of where you are and how much total load you've done with, with volume, but, and intensity. But if you're just doing it like archaic and you just want to build miles, just doing 10%, adding 10% of your last week's total volume onto the next week is a really safe bet. Also pretty conservative. So for someone who's starting out like with 10 miles a week, the next week would be 11. And then after that, you would take, you'd be 1.1 more. So it'd be just going slightly up and, and building it up that way. Yeah. And by the way, for people that are uh, listening for, that's like, that's really good for flatter running. But if you're always running a different place, maybe one week you're in the, on a road, then the next week you're in the mountains. In that case, it is better to go by time because mileage just will not correlate to total effort. Totally, totally. And um, I would, I would imagine that time would have the same, you think 10% of the time would still work? Yeah, that's what I've been doing. I feel pretty good about it. That's what I have athletes doing. Uh, they're doing pretty well. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so 10% rule still work, correlates with time. And if you're doing OCR, I do think time is better um, because you're not just going to be running and it's a metric that you kind of have to get, get away from. So when it comes to full-on sprints for 5K, there is some value, I would say. How would you, how, and I know you were a proponent of full on, on like max efforts. Uh, and how would you describe the benefit of sprints for a 5k? Well, sprints are pretty dope. And when, uh, when I use the, the word sprint, I'm thinking somewhere in the like 100 to 200 meter range or on a hill 
probably upwards of uh, maybe 40, 50 meters or the equivalent of a 10 to a 30 second effort. Mm-hmm. And actually, even though, you know, 10 to 30 seconds, that's not a huge difference, but metabolically speaking, it is a pretty good difference. It is. Yeah. Um, either through either of those, you will still, if you're going all out, that's a, it's a good stressor for the nervous system, not, you know, in moderation. And it's going to help stimulate like testosterone and growth hormone, which is going to be good for ultimately, uh, well, your, your muscle strength. Uh, maybe a little, totally, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Growth hormone and, uh, and like the neuromuscular stimulus, because you ultimately, so when it comes to a race, some people cramp and they'll blame it on salt, they'll blame it on hydration. I guess those are factors, but a lot of times it uh, is being pointed more and more to the fact that you just simply haven't put that sort of demand on your muscles and they spasm. They don't know what to do. So that's where like overspeed training comes in. And really you can just look at overspeed. Uh, let's simplify it and just say it's faster than you're going to run in the race. All right. You're just going to like, you're going to turn your legs over faster. You have, you're not just like a single speed animal. You're able to kind of switch, uh, switch up your speed. Uh, Cause in a race that's going to happen, you're going to fatigue, your legs might turn out a little bit slower. So you have a greater range to hmm. operate in. And that's a good way to put it when it comes to essentially developing gears, right? Being able to know what that top end speed feels like and being able to access that when you need it. And I totally agree when it comes to the cramping, when people are like, oh, should I try pickle juice? It's like, nah, I should probably just train a little bit <laughs> differently or harder or try to really access those muscle fibers a little bit more frequently uh, because no matter what you eat, no matter what you drink, it's not, it's not going to matter. The evidence point that like we have no, we don't really know what is causing cramps, but it's probably not salt. Um, but still take it if you want. So <laughs> with that, that that's a good place for it. But I do think when you're talking muscle cramping for 5k, it's probably not going to happen, you know? So I, I think these, so doing those shorter sprints, they are a good way just to still develop those gears. I actually like the hill sprints, like 10 second hill sprints, just going really hard up and coming down super easy, just again, to access that and work on that running economy. Um, but I would say after about probably eight weeks of good base period, especially if you're coming from nothing, um, six to eight weeks, even if you're coming out of uh, like an off season training before really putting in any type of speed work and like the speed work that really is going to move the needle on this is what we spoke about a little bit last week is getting into that kind of VO two max training or, or going at a speed that is faster than your 5k for three to five minutes. And you need to build up that lactic tolerance because ultimately what's going to slow you down on a 5k is that back half. Mm. And you need to be ready when that comes. And that means training there. Um, so not fun. So it would be under speed and it would definitely be fast, but it's still not a sprint. I would call it, I don't know, 85, 90% of, yeah, of what max a lot of people effort. will probably know as like threshold or like a tempo, tempo pace. Faster, faster than that. So, thre- for, so threshold, I would call anything that you could hold for an hour. This interval pace, I would say like a two mile race, something that you could hold for like 10 to 12 minutes, depending on what you're doing. So just so like you're all like, so real fast pace that you need to, you can only, hold for four or five minutes before you're completely wiped mm-hmm. and working in that range is going to really help move that needle for 5k but there's so much you can do in speed work and and how to really help develop that but ultimately if you're coming from not a heavy endurance background then putting in those miles will definitely be the place to start yeah it's interesting hearing uh it's like a little bit of a uh, vocabulary difference like when you say speed work i think of yeah probably 
probably like 400 to 800 meters tops mm-hmm. for uh, for like the term speed. And then, yeah, getting to like that, uh, like five to 10 minute region. Yeah, I call that like uh, uh, threshold. Okay. It is speed. funny. There, there mm-hmm. is no coverall language. I would consider speed work anything from a marathon tempo run to 10 second sprints. I would just catch everything under speed work. Roger. And then break it out from there. Usually I call what we're talking about like interval pace. People call it like VO2 max effort intervals as well. People call it everything. And then like anything less than that and, and like the mile range. And it's, that's like 400. I still can put into that interval pace as well. And then anything less than that is usually like fast reps or something like that. But yeah, tons of silly vocabulary that does confuse people. And it causes like a riff. Whenever I see, I see somebody like right out their workout, I'm like, what do they mean by this? And then I look at it, I'm like, oh, they're just talking about a different thing. They're just like, they're, we're saying the same thing, but just using different language. Mm-hmm. And by the way, like, what's your favorite, what's your favorite workout building up to a 5k? Building up to a 5k? You're um, like, yeah, you're two or three weeks out. What are you going to do? I'm probably going to stick in that like 1200 to 1000 meter range. And it's not a fun workout. And I would, <laughs> I would make the rest a little bit shorter. So I would work in that like 1200 meter, which would be, you know, three, three and a half to four minutes or whatever. And, or like a thousand meter with three to three thirty, wherever you end up. And I would shorten the rest as it gets closer and closer to the race. And then by the end, probably do five by thousand meter at with like a minute rest. Nice. Yes. Have you, have you put together one that you like? Yeah, I'm a huge fan of, uh, of mile repeats just for like a, a confidence builder. Cause, uh, mm. I personally, I look at the mile and I break it down. It's, it's three miles with a sprint finish, you know, that mm. point one, there's your 160 meter or so sprint finish. And, uh, so I love mile repeats. I like doing that. I'll so say, uh, you know, say I want to run a 17 minute mile, 16, 59, uh, I'm doing, I'm doing five thirties. 530 miles with a uh, two minute walking, uh, recovery. I'll like walk mm. 200 meters, start the next rep. So, uh, so yeah, it's five and a half on. So you're looking you're at like a two to one rest ratio or a three to one rest ratio approximately. So it's like giving that lactic acid a little bit or a little lactate and byproducts a, a little bit of time to, to clear, but getting used to that speed, building confidence at that speed. I love that one too, just so you know what it's going to feel like, right? It, it is just a really good way to simulate that when you're not, and when, when everything's done, you're not going to get that much more benefit out of a workout that that's close, that, that is that close. So it's good to really know where you want to be and feel what it's going to feel like in like those, that last 600 meters or whatever. Um, so yeah, so don't overcomplicate it. Just aim for three by mile, five by K and just go hard. Yeah. Five by K was really good leading up into high rocks. Oh, is that what you were doing? You did one of those? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think, I think that's kind of where I'm going to live for most of the year, depending on if we ever race and for like DecaFit, especially, you know, that's going to be like really fast stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, anything else you want to add when it comes to difference between sprint and easy miles here? Uh, a quick, just a quick tie up. Uh, so first we mentioned like, uh, the far ends of the spectrum, easy running sprints, um, doing a lot of easy running ending you know your runs if you're feeling good with strides uh like some 10 second strides uh keeping it at 10 seconds it's not going to be super metabolically demanding uh it shouldn't bother you too much be too stressful just doing a few reps of that and as time goes on uh you know you said like six weeks maybe eight weeks after a good base building period of that that at that point in time it would shift more into still have your easy runs uh maybe not do as many strides and start to do more of that uh, what you call speed work, what I call threshold work, getting into longer, fast efforts mm-hmm. leading up into that 5k. 
Right. And this is where nuance comes, right? So we could, where the, where I'm thinking is like the threshold is going to be anywhere from, you know, a mile to three miles of work, you know, some like whatever, six minutes to like 20 some minutes. And so you could do those work. You could do that workout and one of those interval workouts the same week that we spoke about and just kind of spread things out. just So you're hitting it. So you can really kind of introduce some, some things, but if you're still, if you're new, I would kind of stick with one of those quality sessions. And if you are running, you know, six days a week, then probably adding in a second quality day. Agreed. Cool. Um, Very nice. And when you talk about strides, I call them striders. Dude, I was going to ask you about that, man. Did, did you call them striders before or after listening to Once a Runner? So that's my defense against it now is that if John L. Parker is calling them striders, I'm calling them striders, but I've never called them strides. And maybe my my high school coach or my college coach read once a runner and that's what just what they called it or maybe it's just his old school mentality because that dude was a runner back when and that was just something that, that maybe that was just the vernacular but yeah they're striders bro <clears throat> dude totally striders go do some striders man yo if anyone hasn't listened to that and they're looking for a book by the way i listened to it i didn't did you read a read a copy or did you audible it um i've done both i have it both dude i like the audible i like the audible it's- the yeah pat waller the narrator he did a fun job good character but uh, but yeah, this book's like 1978, old school stuff. It's hilarious to listen to. It's so entertaining. I listened to it yesterday while doing some yard work. It's like a seven hour audible audio book. Yeah, I saw that you you had posted you were listening to that again. I was like, yes, because I listen to it. If it's it's a great one to run to because it is entertaining and it's talking about what you're doing at the moment and it just really it nails what it's like to be a runner more than anything I've ever seen. And it's like, if you are a runner or you're just learning about running and there's like there's these feelings that you're going through, it is written about in that book. Like he yeah. just nails it. Yeah. I mean, it's, done- it's like super elitist is like through the eyes of like the best runners, but oh, it's, yeah. it's an awesome fantasy. Like, totally. To imagine you're that person. Yeah. And that's what you were like, that's when you were listening. Um, I didn't know how much, was going to connect because of that elitist part. Cause it, it's like, it's what you think of like what a college runner thinks of everything else. It really is written from, from division one there. That's their life. Yeah. Like top, like They're high failure like, if they, if they mess up. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, have you read the, have you done the other ones? The, it's the racing the rain or something like that. And then the other, and again, the Carthage. So there's a, there's a trilogy now. Is there same dude? Yeah. Same dude. It's, it's about Quentin Cassidy. There's a prequel. Oh, shit. And then, and then it's a, uh, where he's in high school and then how he came to be a runner. That's my mom's favorite. Cause I think that's what she saw me as a runner. You know, it's, it's, it's good. And I definitely relate to that one a lot. Um, and are they the like actually ones- good or are they shitty? Like, like die hard. The original movie was good. And then all the sequels were like, eh, so I didn't love again, the Carthage, the, the newest one, but like, it's relatable to who we are now because he has a real life. He's training for, uh, a marathon and it's just like how to balance all of these things and, and the, the, those type of perils and that like kind of a conflict between who he is and who he was. Um, it was okay. Like there's a lot that they could have cut out, but the first one I just relate to real heavily. I can't, I can't be, I'm like, can't be unbiased on my opinion of the first one. It's so good. People should listen to it. People, People should listen it. once a runner. So uh, another thing we wanted to touch on that is, really important when it comes to all aspects of training really is how to manage stress. And right now it's a very stressful time outside of just training. Hopefully you are still training. Hopefully you're out there getting it done. Hopefully you're, you're wanting to improve and get better. 
But stress is stress, and there's stress that is going that is now weighed on us from external factors um, with COVID-19, with the economy going crazy, with everything just being wacky. So um, we want to talk about what some different ways to manage stress here. And a lot of it is going to be scientifically backed, but a lot of it's also going to be anecdotal and kind of some of the things that we do in our practice and, and things that we found help with our um, the athletes who we coach as well. So Josh, I know you talk, you, you talk about this and you like this aspect of performance and wellness because really it's kind of like a wellness piece. So when you talk about stress reduction or stress management, what are some of the things you mean? Well, it's uh, it's a pretty big picture. Yeah, you have like all the lifestyle elements. Uh, you know, you have things like your relationships, your job, obligations, family things, right? And then you have the the physical, the more physical stresses, well, or at least the most evidently physical ones, like the exercises you're doing. You know, you feel it in your muscles. You feel the soreness. Uh, you know, you feel it uh, in in your heart and your cardiovascular system after a hard workout. Like those uh, those are all stressors. The food that you eat. Uh, if you're not eating quality food, that stresses your system. So it's a it's a pretty whole picture, and uh, trying to pin everything down and see where all those uh, uh, forms of stress are really coming from, and kind of just knocking them out one by one. Some are obviously easier than others, uh, but where do you think you would start on that list? So it does come down. It does really boil down to some hardcore self evaluation like kind of how you were alluding to, everybody's going to be a little bit different. There's going to be more stress weight on them from one place to another. But really my go-to for these things is when it comes to stress management for the physical, like the coaches, you and I, we got it, right? Like we should be able to help you manage the the, the stress level with- Right, more, active, than just a, more than just a down week, every third or fourth week, yeah. Exactly, with with smart programming that is is designed for you to ad- adapt and, and move forward and continue to get better. Outside of that, when it comes to like the the mental stress of things, I'm always talking about meditation and journaling. So those are two of my favorite things to to do on my personal level, and also on to to, to encourage others to to join in as well. And neither of them are. I said they're easy, but they're not. Neither of them are easy, and it's hard to kind of set things in in stone as to making these practices land. And do you have those type of practices in your own stress management? Totally. I mean, as far as meditation goes, it's one of those things. It's, uh, you know, like, like they say, brain's a muscle. You have to work it. You have to, you know, work patterns and uh, help your mind shift into that quote unquote meditative state. Just like you would have to learn how to lift a barbell properly overhead or else mm-hmm. it's not, it's not going to work out. You're going to have a bad day. You know, you might be sitting there. I sit there and sometimes, uh, yeah, there's so many thoughts. It ends up being almost it can be more stressful sometimes yeah. because I'll forget the whole point of meditation, which is just to not be thoughtless, but accept whatever thoughts come in and just let them slide away and be like, those thoughts just aren't important right now. And that's okay that they came in. That's really the the process of it rather than, uh, you know, whipping yourself on the back <laughs> because you can't clear your mind and right. you're like, Oh, what the hell is wrong with me, man? I can't, you know, other things come in, you're creating more space for other thoughts to come in. So, uh, so it can take some work. That's why, uh, I enjoy like the breathing practices, you know, uh, it helps me like focus on the breath. So there aren't as many thoughts coming in and also the act of breathing in that hyper oxygenation. It's, uh, it, it creates more of a sensation for you to pay attention to like the tingling, uh, in the body. Uh, you can mm. really feel it in all of your limbs, the head can start to feel a little bit different. And, uh, and if you take it far enough, 
uh, if you breathe, whether through breath holds or more holotropic breathing, where you're just taking very deep breaths for a, a long period of time, you can have some pretty wild experiences that are akin to substances. Like it's, it's wild, man. And I do want to dive into that a little bit more and, and kind of be explicit as to what you mean about the hyperoxygenation and doing some of these breath holds and, and really diving in. But I just want to double back real quick about what you said about the brain being a muscle. And this is something that I, when I have conversations about this, people say, I don't meditate because I'm not good at it. I can't. My mind's too, runs too crazy. And I think of it the same way. You use the barbells analogy. I use, I always use basketball as analogy just because that's just what I did that's growing up. And I just, I that's just think <laughs> that is, oh my, just take some, some Jordan special juice. I forget what they even called it in that. Have you yeah, yeah. It? it was a special juice. It was just Have water. Yeah. Space Jam? <laughs> Have I seen it? Yeah. Totally, dude. It's been a while, but I think I saw like, I looked you were, at a clip you been, of it the other day. been young day. when that came out. Such a strange like combination of real people and animations. Yeah. I wonder, yeah, that's it. And it's supposed to be coming back out, but that's my space jam. But like, it's like, oh, I, I don't play basketball because I'm not good at it. It's like, well, do you practice? It's like, no, because I'm not good at it. It's like, well, that's the, literally the same thing in, in when it comes to meditation. You, it's not just gonna, you're not going to sit down and clear your thoughts and allowing thoughts to come in and just acknowledging that these are just thoughts. And I find that this practice is also helpful when it comes to performance in endurance as well. When you can recognize that these things that are coming in during hard times of your run are nothing but your actual thoughts, then it just, it just devalues them a little bit. So if like negativity comes in and you see it and you acknowledge it and you just release it, it's only a thought. Like it doesn't mean anything else besides that it just came in that you, oh, I feel like shit. It's like, you just think you feel like shit and then it's there, you acknowledge it and then you release it. And I feel like that's a really good way to kind of think about the meditation practice when it comes to the mindfulness piece of it. But when it comes to the breath, the breath work, you know, this is something that's a little bit out because it, it does end up being a little bit more active, right? So, and correct me if I'm wrong, are you kind of leading into like that Wim Hof type of breathing? Yeah, Wim Hof is what definitely got me on the road. And there's like a lot of variations, but like if you want to call it Wim Hof, just because it's uh, a lot of people know Wim Hof at this point. So it's popularized. That, it's yeah, just the way. It's, it's just the way, way to, to kind communicate of, what's happening. It's so like saying Kleenex in, instead of tissues, right? <laughs> nice try. I think so. <laughs> anyway, so go on. So the Wim Hof method is essentially. So like the, the, yeah, so the traditional uh, Wim Hof tactic, which is uh, intended to improve your, your state of immunity. It's a way to kind of override your autonomous nervous system. Uh, and there's also ways to do it where you can shift yourself more into a sympathetic or a parasympathetic uh, nervous state, which has loads of benefits. Uh, but yeah, traditionally you'll do like 30 breaths followed by a breath hold. I posted a video on Instagram of me doing the 30 breaths and on the last breath you hold and then do something like max pushups. And you'll be absolutely amazed at how you don't feel like you need to breathe and the amount of energy that is available. Cause all of that oxygen is, is saturating your body. Uh, a little scientific fact, you need carbon dioxide apparently to use, uh, utilize oxygen. So as you begin to build up carbon dioxide in your system, you're actually like releasing more of that, uh, oxygen and your your muscles are are fueled and uh, i was able to bust out like like 50 push-ups or something on a single breath and anyone that's listening like try it out you'll probably be amazed and maybe give it like two or three three tries but do 30 breaths try a breath hold hold the breath for until you feel like you need to exhale 
and take another breath in. And that might be, you might get nervous. Maybe it's a few seconds, maybe it's four minutes. I mean, yeah, yeah, you can do very long breath holes and uh, divers, not to get too far off topic, but like divers use this technique to hyperoxygenate so they can take long dives. However, they won't do a breath hold. They'll exhale completely with a slow exhale, which shifts them more to a parasympathetic nervous state, which helps slow their heart rate which is good not just for diving where you want to spare your oxygen utilization, but it's good for if you want to like get prepared for sleep or if you're about to eat a meal. Like there's times where being in a parasympathetic state has uh, more value. Absolutely. And and more often than not, we're wound so tight now. And talking about stress, it is a, re- a really good uh, connector here that we're almost always in that sympathetic state. So that's like the difference between fight or flight, right? So we're always kind of in this like built up, like ready to act type of mode just because we're always stimulated in some way. So being able to really kind of cue into the parasympathetic and, and kind of like t- activate it is a, a pretty cool like secret weapon to have. So, and it makes sense in terms of divers, these divers are about to do something crazy dangerous that their body is going to be freaking out and like, get me out of here. But, um, it's much more, uh, useful for someone that might just be feeling overwhelmed <laughs> or needs to chill out before bed. Yeah, totally. Right? Cause it, it'll help, it'll help them really kind of relax and, and lower things down. Yeah. But it's so um, cool and- what you said before you were like, uh, uh, talking about like correlation, like running a thought comes in whatever that thought you kind of let the thought take over you and you can convince yourself like that you're having a crappy run or uh, I hadn't even really thought about it until I was listening to you say that it like sitting, sitting and meditating, being still and focusing on the breath. I can now think about how much that could actually help you during movement. Cause like you're still working that brain muscle, you know, even though you're doing a different activity, right? I mean, it's not, it's cool. It's like, yeah, you're doing like, if you do speed and agility work in a gym, you're not doing it out in the field, but you go out to the field and it still applies. Mm-hmm. So, so that's pretty cool to think about how exercising your brain through like meditative practices, you know, in the home could actually probably play a really awesome role in your, in a sporting event, whether it has to do with positivity or just a lack of negative thought or just an increase in like mind control. Mind right. control. Totally. And, that, and that's a lot of times in those late, those late stages in the race, is it like, this is a wor- the workout that I had two days ago. I had to kind of practice this. It was the last rep and I was coming into it and I'm running on flat and I'm, I'm really trying to keep my paces in a specific zone because I'm kind of focused more 5k now and just working on speed. So it's less, so it's still effort-based obviously, but I have a time where I feel like this is the zone I need to be in. And the last one I came around a nasty headwind and I started off a little slow and the effort felt harder and my pace felt slower. And I was like, oh, this effort is like, I wanted to sit and be at one specific effort and have the pace work out. But because it what that just wasn't what happened, I was able to then dial into my head and be like, no, no, there's more here and you can keep moving forward. Where that negative thought came in was like, oh, well, this effort is, isn't good enough anymore. So, but you're not at max effort right now. So just like see where, where you can go. And so that, did, you, that's, did you slow your pace to correlate with the effort or did you just increase your effort and be like, screw this headwind? It was my last, it was my last rep, screw the headwind. Yeah, and that was, was more of a mental practice. That was like the last minute of my last rep of a million of them. And it was, that's kind of the idea behind it. It's like it be, having the wherewithal to have this space in your head to, if you're having a bad race and OCR, if you, if you miss an obstacle or something like that, that will just weigh on you, right? It'll just be there the entire time. So if you have the ability to be like, okay, it doesn't matter what happened. Let this thought go. And let's, let's focus on this 
on this race that is right now. Um, so when it comes to the, the, the practical application of this, I feel like, I don't know if people get this shoved down their throat a lot, but I feel like I had, when I was first getting into like mindfulness practice, it was getting shoved down my throat a lot. It's like, oh, well, meditation's awesome. Every high performer does meditation. But like, okay, it's like knowing what to do is one thing, but actually doing it and having and when to do it is another thing. So do you have a specific time that you do it or are you just putting it in whenever you can like figure it out? You know, it's, uh, sometimes I bounce back and forth between, uh, different schools. Uh, you know, I'll listen to someone who's very articulate and puts across a message and you, you hear it and you're like, okay, that's, that's probably the way I should be doing things. Um, but I think that there's a level of, I think that, you know, personal intuition is really important. And sometimes it's almost more important, uh, than, than physical science. And like an example of that would be that, uh, I have heard that it is, and it makes sense that it's not the best time to get into a deep meditation early in the morning because you can actually reduce cortisol and put yourself more in that parasympathetic mode, which is kind mm. of, uh, well, that's disadvantageous for the rest of the day. You want to be in a sympathetic state, cortisol's up, energy's up, metabolism's going. Like, So that makes sense. Don't meditate uh, too long early in the morning or else you're going to kind of be counterproductive for the rest of your day, in theory, based on uh, some of the sciences. So knowing that it would make more sense to meditate later in the day after you've done, uh, you know, your activities, your workout, it'll help you get into that parasympathetic state, it'll, which will help you, you know, with digestion, help you with uh, cortisol reduction, melatonin uh, increases and in helping you get to bed and have a, a good, a good night, you know, but if you're stressed, if you're stressed in the morning, like, I like to meditate in the morning, honestly, you know, and I'll get my cortisol ramped up in other ways with the, with the cold shower, going out and doing some exercises. You know, so and that's an important point to make. Sometimes we get bogged down on trying to be optimal that it just isn't practical, right? And I, I'm kind of that way, the same as you. Like, yeah, it'd be great. Like, it's easy when the day gets started. It's easy to steamroll things and things like meditation or like journaling. It's literally doing nothing, so it's so easy to replace that time with nothing with something, unless you're really sacred about it, you know. So unless you really can be diligent later in the day, but like that seems really hard. <laughs> it seems hard. Like when a bunch of, when a bunch of shit's going on, if you have kids, if you have, you know, significant other, if you have anything that you want to do, um, there's going to be more stuff to do later in the day than there is in the morning. So I find it easier in the morning as well. And just having that routine to really like, okay, this is the time after I do this, I do, I, I meditate. And after I meditate, I drink coffee. And after I drink coffee, I, journal, Oh yeah. Yeah. You know? If you got a routine and you're crushing that routine and it's a productive, good routine, don't, don't worry about changing it too much. Right. And and I think the most important part is having a routine and, and 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 making it a time where there is dedication to it. And a lot of ways to do that is kind of along with what I was saying is like stacking your habits and, and just having something you already do, brush your teeth, then meditate. And that and then after that, then you you, you kind of keep moving on. So having that we have so fresh catching, breath for your breathing exercises. What's that? That way you have fresh breath for your breathing exercises. You want that. Yeah. If you have partners that you live with, they don't want that stink breath when you're doing the, that Wim Hof breathing. Um, and along those lines in the morning, you mentioned cold shower. This is something that is really cool and that I, I really enjoy in my own practice. And Wim Hof talks about it as the hardening. And he's done some studies on the, on the, he has some studies on his website, actually, that I, I do want to dive into. Um, but there's definitely been some studies that cold showers have um, the potential to lower uh, depression markers. And also there's been some 
studies that people have reported themselves sick less often. Um, and who knows, you know, these are still really early in, in, in the research on this type of thing. But there are some cool things that, that maybe emerge in the science, but the actual practice of cold showers. Um, and as I was saying, Wim Hof, he, he calls it hardening. And it's kind of like your ability to handle stress like a little bit at a time. So when you take a cold shower, it sucks and it's stressful, but it's like essentially training your body to do hard things. That's kind of my interpretation of it. Totally. So yeah, yeah, it's mostly, it's mostly mental. I would, I, even today, you know, I've been doing cold showers for many years and it's still, it's still a mental thing. It never really gets a whole lot easier. It's just the recognition that it is mental. So they can, any given day be like, oh, they shuck and they suck. And then you can just say, no, they, they don't. I just get in it. Right. And again, it's a way to handle that stress. So this could be another way to train yourself to be able to handle whatever the day is going to throw at you. And yes, they do suck, but could get you ready for that Tahoe swim. Dude, no doubt about it, man. Yeah. Those cold showers came in clutch. Who's laughing now? <laughs> yeah. You, you want that in. You hope that I it wanted stays. that. I was hoping. I was hoping it was longer. I'm glad it was not longer. I was really happy with how short it was. Yeah. <laughs> I was very happy with that. Um, dude, and dude, let's hop, let me stay on cold showers real quick. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, here's the thing with, with cold showers. They have oodles of benefits. If you're already super stressed out, if you're like in a state of adrenal fatigue, if you're already sick, uh, I would advise against cold showers cause they, they are a stressor. They are a stressor. And, uh, if you are healthy and you take a cold shower and you're in there for like three to five minutes, that's not an overwhelming stress, but it's a hormetic stressor. It's a healthy amount to help you adapt. And so, uh, a couple things there. Yeah. So inflammation, uh, inflammation is definitely an issue with stress. When you're stressed out, you have heightened levels of inflammation. Uh, if you're an athlete working out hard all the time, you're going to have higher inflammation. If you don't eat well, you can have systemic inflammation. When you, when you take a cold shower, you stimulate the release of, uh, anti-inflammatory cytokines, pretty much these things that just go around and help kind of clean up your inflammation. Uh, another thing that happens is the release of norepinephrine, which is a neurotransmitter and a hormone. And that has been proven to, uh, help with anxiety and, uh, decrease your, uh, likelihood for depression. So it's a mood, it's a mood improver, mm. uh, which is another reason these things are awesome in the morning. They're stimulating uh, a lot of good systems in the body. Again, you like hyped up, amped up, getting neurotransmitters going, getting, uh, the uh, cortisol ramped up, which is a good thing. If again, you're not already overly stressed, not already in a state of adrenal fatigue, right? And those are important to note too, especially with the cortisol, right? Cause that, that a lot of time gets linked to, uh, you know, weight gain and things like that. But a lot of times it just has to do more with the stress and then the, the stress induced eating or, or whatever. Like we need cortisol, right? We need cortisol to, to, to get us through our day. It's, it's one of those hormones that, that should shift up and down with what we got going on. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely a mood, mood improver. When I was really diligent on it. I, the first time you popped on the podcast, I think I told you I'm, I live in this awesome apartment complex now that I really enjoy, but the water is just too warm. Even on its coldest, it's just nothing. It just, it just doesn't do anything. So the, the hot water went out like a, two weeks ago or something like that. And I got right in there. Yeah. I, was, I was about <laughs> it. And I forgot, I was like, Oh my God. But I'd always like try to tell myself, I was like, okay, this will make me feel better. Like I will feel better after this. So it's a good reminder to have. It's kind of yeah. like running, like running. If you're not already conditioned sucks until you're done. Right. And then you're like, Oh, okay, cool. Like I definitely feel better now. I did it. Um, Stand there proud. I did that. I'm gonna put this on Instagram. Um, so that those are awesome points. And again, it, it's just a matter of, it's a, it's a mental 
mental challenge. And it'll be fun to see where the, the science emerges on this on this type of stuff. Yeah, like you said, it's not super duper in depth, but right now, even uh, just at a uh, a little glance, there's a lot of really cool, promising things. And even if it's just partially partially true, still lots of good stuff. Uh, the the cold helps stimulate mitochondrial biogenesis because your body's trying to produce energy to stay warm uh, and is mm. trying to uh, do so in an efficient manner. So there's some studies show that it increases brown adipose tissue, which is just uh, a type of fat that we have around our collarbone uh, and our back of our kidneys. That's very, it's highly metabolic. It makes us, uh, that helps us be more resilient to the cold. Uh, and it also helps us eat up white adipose tissue, which is like belly fat. Uh, that again, some, some studies, some studies show that others are like, eh, kind of, but, uh, yeah, those in, the, cool. in theory, there is a ton of benefits, but in practice, really, I found it's best just to get an edge on the day to feel like you did something hard and just to feel awesome from something that is really kind of passive, you know, like you don't do anything. You just stand there and just fucking deal with it, <laughs> you know? Totally. Um, cool. So there's some other things that we could definitely dive into. I think sleep should be its own topic one day. We, we could really kind of go into I got, it. So, I got a lot of notes on sleep. Yeah. We'll so we're going to sleep one. a whole nother time, but I'll, like that is always the big one. And if, if your sleep is, is a mess, like your, the meditation, the cold showers, the journaling, all this other shit that you can do, it's really not going to be as effective. <laughs> so just put that caveat in here with all this. So if you're sitting there listening, it's like, well, talk about sleep. We're going to talk about sleep. Um, but right now, th- th- that's kind of uh, some good measures that you can do actively on your own to um, help reduce stress, at least that what we found in our own practice. So anything else you want to um, touch on when it comes to stress reduction? Uh, I think we're pretty good for right now, man. I mean, if uh, if anyone out there is finding themselves eating a little bit more because you're maybe spending more time at home, just be uh, just be conscious about some of the things that you're you're eating. You know, try to stay away from consuming large amounts of sugar, especially if you're being stagnant. Uh, try not to because they'll satisfy you uh, in the short term, but in the long term, it's going to be deleterious. And uh, you know, vegetable oils—that's just things that are going to make you more inflamed. Going to contribute to overall uh, systemic inflammation and stress. Uh, yeah, just be conscious about what you're doing. I like that with the with the food because now is a, a weird time, and I think about this with food a lot of times because like there, food can solve a lot of problems, right? Like a lot of times, maybe we are hungry, so when we we're hungry every day, right? So when we eat, it satisfies that thing that's a little bit wrong, and people have a tough time discerning what is wrong in them. So a lot of times they go to food if they're like stressed or sad they're like maybe food can help me but really they're not hungry food helps when you're hungry it doesn't necessarily help you get less stressed but it's like that response that you get from it that people think they just kind of reach for something so being mindful of that in in this time is going to be really big um because that is something that i know i face with some of the, the um People who I coach with nutrition, they're just like, dude, I'm just snacking. I'm snacking all the time. So figuring out ways to uh, just really be mindful of that. And again, it, it comes down to habits and also what you're trying to get out of that. So um, we can talk on that stuff a little bit later too. But I think this is a good spot. We'll talk on like some actual recovery methods as well and how to like some physical recovery methods and, and where you can end up with that. But these are all more just really kind of stress reliever that will all kind of play in, into itself. So um yeah, so that should wrap us up on that. So, Josh, what else? Uh, what what have you been? What you got going on, man? What have you been working on? Uh, trying to get back into the speed work. Knees feeling good after coming down out of the mountains, because uh, like I said, knee got a little bit tweaked from that uh, that, that ice day. But uh, yeah, just trying to 
be as productive as absolutely possible. Cause Hey, we all hop off the rails, you know, once in a while. And some, for some people that means sitting on the couch period. And for other people, that means you're just, instead of doing 10 things on your list out of the day, you're doing seven. So I'm trying to get back up to, uh, you know, 10 things out of the day. It's nice outside doing spring stuff around the house, getting excited about, uh, doing cleanup, getting to the garden, get some food. Nice. Yeah, son. And that's, is it, was it a, did you find it harder to, are you finding it harder to be motivated without races now? Like you had, a, you had kind of hit downtime at a weird time. I got asked this question yesterday. Yeah. When I was doing, uh, doing oh, a track, who asked track you? Uh, this, this chick that I worked at a gym at and she's, she's being pretty smart. She's, you know, trying to work around the gym closures and she was just training with somebody outside, not in a gym. You know, they were keeping good distance. Nice. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So making it work. I'll try to make it happen. Definitely. Word. She's fast too. She used to run like a 216, 800. Wow. Yeah, she's jacked. Uh, she's cool. Uh, so yeah, she she asked me that same question. I, I like wavered a, a little bit, but I just, I love running in the mountains still. You know, we mentioned like FKTs, fastest known times, like those, those aren't going anywhere. And, uh, you know, if you evaluate yourself and you think about the reason you do all this, maybe you'll come to something that's almost more empowering. You know, uh, I think at the very least being healthy, gosh, just the, the benefits to it. You know, it's now more than ever is the most important time to be healthy. Look mm. at who all the high risk people are currently uh, with this virus and realize that the best way to say, screw you to the shitty medical system and, uh, and have, you know, have insurance, good, good medical insurance into your, your future and into old ages, take care of yourself now, you know? And, uh, and yeah, that'll carry you into your old age. The habits we build now, uh, we carry into our old age and our body has this like physical, uh, remembrance. So getting fit now, being healthy now, uh, I mean, I mean, especially fit as far as like muscular, uh, skeletal system goes, it is going to retain more of the habits you instill now. So if you get fitter now, if you get stronger now, you're literally going to be able to hold on to that strength and even build strength later into your old age. So yeah, stay healthy, stick a middle finger up to the medical system, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and know that you're a badass and that you're, you're doing everything that you can. And that's important. There's a lot of value to that in your life. I mean, when you think about it, like that's what we're doing is just trying to be healthier. Even if you're just in it for the competition, you have to be a healthier, more fit person to compete well. So it's like a good byproduct to have of it. And it's just something that we were doing right already. It's just a matter of like doing it for that purpose now and, and having it be a longevity and, and maintaining these habits that are going to help us help us live, bro. <coughs> um, totally. Yeah. Yeah. We might not be the fastest person in the world by the time we're like 35, but Hey, we might be like the fastest 80 year old marathoner ever. <laughs> right. Um, speaking of fastest, did you smash those burpees? You might be in first place. I don't think I've seen a faster time. Uh, no, there's someone out there with like a, a time of 46. I haven't seen the video, but I've seen some. What? Like, yeah, dude. But I mean, ah, they're not, they're not that great. I mean, it's hard to see. It's, you know, it's, it's hard to tell. It's like, yes. Okay. Feet left the ground. Hands, I think are above head. They kind of went out of frame. But, you know, I, I can't really tell the lockout of the hips and the knees. A lot think, of poor hip locking out. Yeah, a I think lot. I could have gone faster, but I had to hold myself to a standard of like, these are for sure Spartan legal burpees. Yeah. And you were 51 seconds? Yeah, 51.8. But, uh, you know, maybe they'll round down. That's strong, man. Thanks did you see that it's, it's, yeah, I did 61 and I was just like, fuck this. Solid. The, uh, my, uh, my setup was all wacky. So I was like in real tight. Dude, you're in an alleyway, man. If someone's like you doing that, I'd be like, I am not going down that alleyway. 
I know. And like, oh, it's like this back staircase that no one ever goes in. It's so dirty back there. The yoga mat I did it on was just completely covered in dirt. And uh, I I was doing it just so no one could really hear me. It was like six o'clock in the morning. And uh, it was just kind of like tucked away behind, but it was still pretty, pretty loud. You know, you hit the ground on those, it starts whacking. I, I'm worried dude, somebody, somebody well, the they probably had no idea what it was. Um, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dude, how are your hips, man? I was like smacking my hips. Oh, geez. you got it. If you want to go fast, you have to just you sell it. out. You yeah. have to sell out and just flop on the ground, essentially. Um, and as controlled as, as controlled as possible, I guess, to pop yourself back up. Did you see the new ones, hand release push ups? Yeah, that's going to be another one. It's like who can take the most, uh, the most damage to the chest, just like slapping themselves down oh. like a fish. Mm-hmm. That's uh, a buddy of mine, um, Joe Roberto. He did it yesterday, just to kind of test it out. And his looked really controlled. Like he was like kind of lowering himself down, and it looked like he, he kind of burnt himself out at a point. And I was like, yeah, you just have to just you gotta drop, dude. You gotta drop, drop, yeah. drop yeah. it. Probably um, do that. Do that one on grass or something. <laughs> maybe, but you want to get that good push up. That was another thing. I could have done it outside, but it was just on soft mud, and I don't really want to do that. Um, well, yeah, so that'd be cool. Be, how are you gonna get? I don't know. Maybe I'll try it today. Dude, do some what Wim Hof beforehand, son. That's gonna up your. Reps. I do the Wim Hof before. I, I I can. I've done fifty something with the Wim Hof, which I'm I'm pretty happy about. But nice with the hand release. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. What do you think? Uh, uh, well, that would be hard. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go 66. Roots, ooh, 69. I like that one. I'm gonna go you 69. think? I'm gonna do 69, son. I'm gonna do 69. Wow. I have no idea. I have no what clue. What it's it's like, like if you're, you know, because you're doing hand release pushups in a stadium, right? When you're inside that that locker room, busting them out, like they don't have to be strict. It's not like you're in a you're holding a solid plank. Like you're doing a fruit roll up. You know, you're rolling your chest. Oh, definitely. Up. Yeah, because it's like the rules are chest to ground, hands up, and then full extension at the arms. So, and same thing with the burpees. Like you can roll your chest up and kind of, kind of save your triceps. Definitely, you know. So, a lot of techniques out there. Because the, the the dude who did it, he got he was like sixty three in the burpees, and he was only he only got like thirty something of these push ups. Uh, so, world, I don't world. know a different world. I guess. So, yeah, my pressing strength isn't awesome, so we'll see how 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 goes it. Um. But I'm still I'm still trying to work on this 5k speed. I'm gonna I think I'm gonna do a mile this weekend because um, I kind of set up a season for myself where I'm ha- I have like two more 5ks I want to do over until like May 12th. May 12th I think I'm gonna have like my my final race. So I want to I want to pop a mile in there. I was thinking about maybe a two mile somewhere because like in in and kind of treat it like a spring track season. Like spring track you'll race every weekend or every other weekend. So I want them to be pretty close to each other, and then. Um, just go to work. So I got this, maybe a road mile this weekend. I'll follow it up with the tempo run, just get a little bit more in there. And you know what I've been kind of trying to bring back into the habit is working with some minimal shoes. What mm. shoes do you run in? Dude. So, uh, totally depends. Like I did a barefoot run this morning. I don't run barefoot all the time just cause you got want to find some nice grass. that doesn't have like some locust branches with thorns on it. You know, you gotta watch out. But I got a pair of, uh, these really cheap Amazon, barefoot shoes that's just like oh no way yeah dude they're like 23 dollars. there's by a company called tesla not not uh not elon's stuff it's not he's not making minimal he's not, shoes. He's not making them no nah, if he does maybe he thinks it's good for them. humanity i mean they could be good for humanity dude, I'll tell it doesn't seem too far <laughs> yeah good for like human feet rubber. yeah man it's uh you feel everything like rocks kind of suck but it makes you very conscious about your footstep it makes you tread lightly uh quicker turnover it helps build really good habits especially on like uh for me technical trails uh, mm. and uh 
yeah, yeah. I just think that running in a barefoot shoe is a, a good habit. But other than that, I'm running in like, you know, a pair of Nikes, a pair of like four mil drops uh, everywhere else. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. Like I was, you know, I had a traditional shoe for a long time from high school through college. And then the first time I saw like a lower drop shoe was uh, the Saucony came out with the Convara and that was a four millimeter drop. And that was right around the same time that those five fingers came out, the Vibrams, when that was a whole whole deal. And those are zero with the fingers. Do you like those? Try those. They're hard to get on. Dude, they're weird, man. I got, well, I got a narrow foot. Like my feet didn't like them. I got long ass no. toes. <laughs> and like, the, it was a more of a marketing thing with the toe situation. Cause you could just have like a, like a, like you said, that liner that you have and it's the, you get the same type of benefit, right? Like you yeah, feel on the ground. What's that? Like, like a lot of the yeah. middle issues have the wide toe box, like huge toe box, totally flattened out. Yeah, totally. It did. It did the trick of, of catching eyeballs. They'll be like, Oh, what are those? Like, Oh, then they get, then there's a whole story behind them. What they shouldn't have done is tell people that they, sh- they will make you be a healthier runner. Cause that's what they were doing. They're like, you, we wear these, they will be better for you long-term and maybe, but you still have to change what you're doing. Like you don't put them on and you're better. So yeah. people were, do- people were doing that. Bit. Anyone that's going to go hop into like minimalist shoes or start running barefoot, I I personally would say like do no more than ten percent of your running and like only easy running in mm-hmm. minimalist shoes to start because it's going to work muscles in your feet. It's going to it hits a zero drop. It's going to put more stress on your uh, on your Achilles if you haven't uh, worn a zero drop or minimalist mm-hmm. shoes. So ease in, ease, ease in, and, and and you're going to have to be conscious about your running form. Most people who are in a bigger, softer shoe will have a more of a long, I have like a longer stride than Mm. someone in a minimal shoe. And if they try to do the same thing, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to suck. And, um, it, it doesn't have that cushioning for you that you've been relying on. So if you're going to go minimal, nothing. So if you're going to go minimal, like be conscious of and do a little research on running form. Um, and, and figure out like how to, to go about that. But, um, so yeah, I started to run in a four millimeter shoe and then I started to change my running form a little bit here and there. And then I've, I've really kind of, went all the way and, and changed my running form completely um, doing the whole deal, 180 cadence, keeping everything really tight. Um, and it took a while to kind of change things. But since then I haven't gotten hurt. Literally I haven't gotten hurt since I've changed my running form, which is amazing. And that was in 2000 and maybe 15. Um, so I think it, I'm a huge proponent of changing your running form. And I think minimal shoes do help that. But last year I had some, I guess I just said I didn't get hurt. I had some really bad foot pain last year. And it turns out that it was from like poor movement. And since I've cleaned up this, this, these movement patterns, I've don't feel foot pain at all anymore. But with that, I switched my shoes into like more of like a maximal shoe and got like Hoka's just cause it was the only thing that didn't suck for me to wear. And from there, I, so now I'm just kind of reliant on those. So I, I threw on a pair of my Merrill, the vapor gloves, I think, which are super minimal. They're probably like uh, essentially like what you have, um, nothing that's going to separate the ground, um, for myself. And, and I've been trying to work into those a little bit more just to help build back a little bit of that strength. I wore them the other day and it, my calves were just wrecked, absolutely wrecked just from like 15, 20 minutes. And that's with like what I would consider proper running form. So trying to get myself back into some minimal stuff, man. It's a good move, dog. Yeah, so that's something that I've been working on, um, and we're going to keep it going, man. So uh, what else? So I think that's really – we covered a lot today. And um, always give us a shout when it comes to any questions you want to get covered. We'll, we'll 
cover them in detail. And I was thinking, dude, we should have a name for our uh, for our, our little podcast here. Like, uh, oh, oh, dude, you think I haven't thought about that, man? What you been thinking? I hear like I hear like Rich Roll or Rick Ross, and like Rich and Reed, Reed and Rich, or some shit. I don't know. I don't care whose name comes first. That's not bad. <laughs> little R and R, little R and R. I love it. Like reinforced running, Rich and Reed. So much alliteration. A lot of R's. I like it. I like it. I like it. I was thinking because you know we were. Um, we're just workshopping. We're just spitballing that we were talking last week. We don't have anything in common except we're handsome. So I was thinking, so we're like the half moon cookies. So we, this could be the handsome half moon <laughs> cookie podcast. <laughs> that will for sure get like 11 listeners. The HHMC. We could just shorten it. People won't even know what it is. I like acronyms that I don't actually know. You're like, oh, and they're like, oh, what is that? Right. Yeah, H-, H squared MC. Like science whole... terms, like the AMP K pathway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. AMP core. <laughs> it's yeah. like 20 words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like people, the only reason people would memorize those is just to impress whoever they're talking that's to. the only reason i do to be honest <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> um all right cool well that's it for the uh handsome half moon cookie podcast that comes out on fridays make sure to check us out rate review subscribe we would appreciate that hook it up josh i'm signing off man pieces <laughs>